Hi, everybody. Hi, everybody. That's good. No, I, I was... Good. How's everybody doing? This is the first week of September. It's the first Sunday of September. I mean, it's both, but it's definitely the first Sunday of September. Um, and September is actually, for a lot of people, the beginning of... The year. It's the beginning of your normal year. School starts. Regular routines begin. It's the time we come back from summer when everything is chaos and settle back into life as it normally is. There's less vacationing and trips and there's less spur of the moment and things become more scheduled and and kind of in some ways dictated by work and, and school and classes and, and so... What we like to do in September is really kind of give you the kickoff, kind of what we're doing. And so what I'm going to do before Nathan comes up and teaches is kind of give you our fall kickoff and let you know what's happening um, from an elder standpoint, where we're headed, some of the things we need, some of the deficiencies we've had, um, and then go forward. I also introduce myself. I'm Justin, one of the elders here. I know most of you. So that's cool. Um, so here's what we're doing. Um, well, this is like year five and what happens is when beginning count it, go ahead and count it, count it. Well, then don't contradict me if you're not going to count it. (laughs) Here's what, here's what happens when something new begins. It's, um, I don't know a good word. There's no kids in here. It's very sexy. It is. You want to do it. It's sleek. It's shiny. It's new. It's fancy. It's got uh, ideals and and that kind of happens um, when something new happens. And as you own something that was new and you used it all the time and then becomes old and then it, you know, if, if you're lucky, it becomes like something that's dependable and reliable. And if not, it often just becomes trash. Um, when we started, there's it's easy to have energy behind something that's new. Always is easy to have energy behind something that's new. As something becomes regular, normal, as something is no longer new but existing, the energy often slows down. Um, but what, what we need to do, one of the things we as elders know is important is to make sure you know the mission. So just straight up confession as elders. We know that we haven't always done the best job over the past, maybe two or three years to really keep the mission in front of you to really keep you connected to the gospel and not just the gospel, but the joy of the gospel. What hap- what has happened is as often happens with churches is, is stuff can become mundane. And when stuff becomes mundane, it borders onto complacent. Now can we hear complacent and we think it's a bad word. What complacent means is you just are existing in the idea that everything is good. Everything is okay. Everything is fine. So we just do this because everything is fine. But the reality of the gospel is it's never meant for complacency because the gospel is always moving. The gospel is always alive and it is always pushing and pulling. And so as elders, what we're trying to do is we're trying to look at the mission and connect it to the church now, obviously, it's still it's still a holiday weekend, so some people are still vacationing and getting last-minute parties in, so there's still some people missing. But 
what we want to do is fuel the church back to the joy of the gospel. If you take church built around the gospel and you take the joy from it, okay, you end up with ministry that is religion. Okay, that's, that's, that's not what particularly our little church can be. We've not set it up to be that. We're a little wacky. We're a little hinky. We're a little different. And for it to become that is, is just sickly and unhealthy. So that being said, one of the things the elders have failed at is we didn't get deacon roles rolled out. <laughs> we didn't roll out deacon roles the way we were intending to. In fact, we're about nine months behind now. Let's just, let's just go with that. That's not a long time, or it's a really long time. And, and we failed there, but what we want you to know is we have a deacon meeting coming up this coming Saturday, the 10th. And, and at that meeting, we're going to be talking to the deacons about the roles that we have and putting people in them. Here's why that's important for all of us as a church body. One of the things that's hard is to disseminate information, to let ministry needs be known to everyone by having deacons in charge of specific things, which is very biblical, okay? It's how the first deacons were set up, in charge of specific needs that help the elders so that the work of the church can still go forward. It'll be easier for them to relate that need to everybody in the church. Something else we haven't done well is had regular family meetings. We're going to have a family meeting within, within hopefully two weeks of that deacon meeting to really set us all up. So that's coming up. So you're looking at a deacon meeting next Saturday and within two weeks, a family meeting to really get us all on the same page and really help you to hear the elders where we see the deficiencies, where we know we've failed, where we know as a, as a church we're failing so we can really build each other up, not to patch it, but to start to let the joy of the gospel integrate into our hearts in a way that's sustainable so that we can actually go back to being family, not corporate church, but a family. That's what the church is. Um, So that's the deacon meeting and the family meeting coming up. Teaching-wise, what I wanted to give you is the, the rollout of what will probably be the next little over a year. Nathan's going to be teaching tonight. He's got four weeks on gospel culture. Did I say that right? Not gospel. Did I say that right? I did say that right. Okay. Gospel culture, um, in which he's going to be really pulling on our hearts to see how gospel culture would be coming out of us and would be relating to all of our everyday interactions and the world around us. Um, So that's the next four weeks. That's going to take us just to the end of September and October. It's two weeks of orientation. That's what it's going to be called. Orientation as we go into our next long-term study, which is the Epistle of Acts. Yeah, the Book of Acts. It's not an epistle. Um, and we'll be in the Book of Acts for about a year. We do have... I know, it's exciting. It should be exciting. Um, <laughs> there's a reason. Mostly because we have Advent, which happens every Christmas... Right, so that's four to five weeks out of the teaching cycle, right? Because Christmas, um, and and that's going to give us pretty much the next year of instruction. Okay, our goal in doing this gospel culture specifically is to help us see how we need to pour out the gospel, not just in how we live, but also in how we speak to the world around us. Following into orientations, I'm telling you, it's two weeks to get to the Book of Acts. That's going to be talking about two different Jesus interactions with two different ladies to set us up for Acts. We're going to start the book of Acts, and the whole goal of Acts is going to be to connect us with not what the church did, okay? Yes, that's going to come out because it's what the early church did, but also 
Why did the church do it? What, what motivated the church to be this, what was actually an incredibly radical and changing force by the power of the Holy Spirit, right, through the work of Jesus Christ? And the goal is to make sure we're going to weave in the joy of the gospel into everything that we do. So that's this year. Kicking it off with gospel culture. So Nathan's going to come up. I'm going to pray for him. We do announcements at the end. We have a couple of events and a. Wow, I lost it. And a what are we calling? The, what would we call the frequency? A conference. That's what it's called. And a conference. So we got some things to announce, but I'll do those at the end. Um, so just for those of you to recap, we have a deacon meeting. If you are a deacon, that would be this coming Saturday. We'll have a family meeting following that, probably on a Sunday night. So it's not like you're going to have to shift your whole lives around to come to the family meeting. All are welcome at the family meeting um, to hear what's going on. Uh, if you're not a deacon, the deacon meeting probably isn't the best place for you because it's going to get gritty. Uh, so let me pray for Nathan as he opens up the word tonight for us. Dear Jesus, I thank you. I thank you that we can come together and worship you. I thank you for uh, Nathan and his heart to teach and his heart to minister to our church and connect us on mission to the world around us. I pray that you would, as he opens up the word, your spirit would speak into our hearts through the word. That as Nathan speaks, you would take away any nerves and help him to know that you are a sovereign God that speaks through him. And I pray now that we would be ready to hear and change. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thank you. So like Justin said, we are on week one of gospel culture. And um, so I'm going to intro us here really quick and then we can dive in. I'm going to try and not use the stand. I'm going to try and stand the whole entire time also. Um, so this is all new for me. I normally sit and everything. So bear with me. Um, so the world around us is broken. We all understand that. We see that. And if we had to be honest with ourselves, we're part of that brokenness. We're all broken also. Uh, living in a broken world is not easy. Um, it causes us to have to reevaluate evaluate constantly what we believe, why we believe what we believe, and also cause us to learn how to live through what we believe into interactions with others. The reality is that for most, um, there is no real lasting hope, which is sad, um, but their hope and their life is lived for fleeting moments of hope, fleeting uh, new things that are happening or, hey, the weekend's coming up, so I'll get a break from work or a short vacation or a new car, new job, money, whatever it is. Uh, these things pump them up, pump us up for a minute or two, and then they leave us empty. So then the questions always come, is there more to this? Is there more life to live? These questions are questions that we all wrestle with. I wrestle with, you guys wrestle with, those who aren't a part of the church wrestle with. So then the search begins. The ecclesiastical search begins. The void-filling search begins. This person is a student that's looking to learn, but not just a student looking to learn, but to listen with intent to apply what is taught. This is a disciple. That's who this person is, a student ready to learn and listen with intent to apply what is being taught. So the question also that follows that is who's doing the teaching? The teachers is anyone who provides a glimmer of hope to their situation. This would be a self-help book, a professor, a philosopher, family, friends, 
acquaintances, co-workers, anyone who can offer them a glimmer of hope. So now we have a disciple, someone who's looking to make a change or whatever, who's looking, listening with an intent to apply what's being taught. And they have many teachers who are teaching them. The sad reality is that these teachers also are providing information to fill the void that will only last for a few minutes, maybe a few months. But later that, li- that disciple is left with emptiness. But the good news is that, um, that the truth of peace and joy only comes through Jesus Christ. We battle self day in and day out to remember and hold on to Christ, who is the author of our peace and joy. If only we realize what was wrapped up in the Great Commission. Christ says in the Great Commission, disciple of mine, go and make disciples. Wrapped up in the Great Commission, he says, be a disciple of me and bring others with you. You're not alone. Christ is with you. And he asks you to bring people into the battle for joy as we go along. So over the next three weeks, Uh, My goal would be to help us figure out what that looks like. What does it look like to live life as a disciple of Jesus Christ? How do we follow and carry others along with us? How do we become disciples who are making disciples? How do we live in the counterculture, the gospel culture? So as I was studying this week, I think I'm going to use a stand because I need to put this thing down. (laughs) All right. Sorry about that. So as I was studying, God brought to mind um, that each of us who named the name of Jesus Christ had to have a knowledge or understanding of who God was, who God is, and how our lives are to uh, react um, according to God. That knowledge is what helps us build a solid understanding of who we are in comparison to who he is. So um, to start our series on the gospel, I, I thought it fitting that we dive into a knowledge of God, who God is. Um, and lest you think we're going to go through the all-encompassing view of who God is tonight, we're not. There's, no, there's not enough time for us to actually dig in to all the attributes of God and who he is. So I decided that we would focus in on one attribute of God tonight, one attribute that I believe is paramount to understanding who God is. And that attribute tonight is the God of love, that God is love. So give me some things. Give me some things that you love. Food. Yes, we all love food. Sports. Great, great. Give me some other things that you love. Family. Good, 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 good. What else do we love? Your job. Some days we love our jobs and some days we don't love our jobs, but our jobs. What else do we love? What was that? Oh, yeah. We'll remind her this week sometime that she said that. Um, we have a twisted definition of love. We have an understanding of love that is conditional. This love is based on affiliation. We heard family. We heard friends. These are all affiliation things. It's twisted. It's, it's conditional. Um, based on affection and attraction, 
it tastes good. So I, I love this food. This is awesome. I really love this ice cream. I love this steak. I love these things. It's comfortable. It's a place where I'm comfortable. I love being home. I love sleeping. I love all these things are comfortable to us. Um, a lot of times, even those attractions are, hey, this person looks good. This person's sexy. I love this person because of those reasons. That's, those are definitely things that um, based on uh, affection and attraction. A lot of times our love is based on emotion or feeling. This emotion, oh, I feel this way, so therefore I love. I don't feel this way, so therefore I don't love. You treated me this way, so I no longer love you. All of those things are all conditional. This conditional is self-serving. This conditional love is self-centered. And this conditional love is abusive. And you say, well, wait a minute. It's not abusive. How is it abusive? We think about it. If I'm all about me... I'm all about my heart and what I want and never care to think about you. And I only see you as an ends to the things that I want because I love them. That's abuse of you. It's clear abuse of you. And so this love, this distorted definition that we have of love um, is all of these things. Um, and it's overcomplicated. You ask most people, what is love? They can't even tell you. Oh, uh, this this person, I love this person because of whatever, or I love these things because of whatever. They can't give you a solid definition of what love is. So then we move to love as God, perfect love as its definition, God's perfect love. And God's perfect love is unconditional and unearned. God's love is unconditional and unearned. God loves us so he gives, and he gives without strings attached. God's not concerned about where I'm. He's concerned about where I'm at, but he's not concerned about what I'm going to bring to the table. You see this in John 3, 16. He says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. There are no conditions attached to that. God loves the world And he gave his son, gave his son fully without any conditions, us bringing anything to him. God loves us even though we hated him and were unlovely. Romans 5, 8 says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so... Sin is a distortion of truth. Sin is a separation from God. Sin cannot, darkness and sin cannot be where God is at. God set up the world perfectly. He created it perfectly. Sin entered and sin cannot be a part of where God is at. And so sin then is a turning away from God and his truth and his word. And so God still in that loves us, even though we choose to so many times take and turn our backs to him. We choose so many times to say, you know, I don't really care. I'm going to do, I'm going to set myself up as my own God. God still says, I love you, even though you don't choose me, even though you turn from me. God's love is not based on our works or being a good person. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Each of us have sinned. We don't connect with God. We fall short of what his standards are. God's standards are perfect. 
all of us can look around this room. We can look outside of, of this room and say, you know what? There's not a lot of perfect around us. We can strive to be perfect. I'm one of those people that loves perfection, loves order, loves details, loves all of those things. And to be honest, it's not there, not happening. I'm not a perfect person. None of us are. Um, and so I'll never or will never be able to meet the standards that God has set. But even in that, God still loves us. Even our good works, Isaiah, is, Isaiah 64, 6 says, we have all become like one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We are, we are, we all fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away. And so even when I strive and I push as hard as I can to be a good person, to do great things in the name of Jesus, even those things are as filthy rags, as it says here from Isaiah. So our uncleanness and the works that we do, God still loves us through all of those things. So then the love of God. What is the love of God? Which the Bible says God is love. So God is all encompassing of love. So for us to understand that, we have to see how he set it up, what he did, and where it came from. So then love is enough for yesterday. Love is enough for today. And love, love is enough forever. Because God is love and God is eternal. So therefore love transcends all time. God created a perfect world. I shared this a few minutes ago. That perfect world was perfect. We then decided that, you know what? We want to be God. We want to change this world. We can do better at this world. And so we changed this world. Um, we decided to do things on our own way. But God did not let us stay there. He said, I created it perfect. You decided that you didn't want the perfect world that I gave you. So then now let me redeem what you have done and where you're at. So then we see again, God redeems John three sixteen and 17. Uh, we see how he just loves us so much that he grabbed us and stepped into the world and claimed us. And not to bring condemnation on us for what we've done. Even in that, he loved us and said, you know what? I, I, I'm not going to condemn you for what, what you've done. I'm asking that you just see my son for who he is. And you follow him and, and, and become saved. He guides his people. It's tough in this world. Um, a lot of times we have a lot of decisions to make. A lot of stuff to do. Schooling. Work. Whatever it is. Um, and God says, you know what? These are all things to aspire to. These are great things for you to do. Great things for you to aspire to. But the bottom line is that true guidance comes from God. And he says, you know what? I love you enough to give you clear guidance for how to make good decisions. I give you clear guidance on how to walk a life that would be fulfilling in me. So Psalms 32, eight says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eyes upon you. So guys, God keeps his eyes on us day in, day out. God knows exactly where we're going. He knows what's going to happen to us. He knows all of those things. And in that, he says, I will instruct you day by day as you make each step. I will instruct you in the ways you should go. These decisions that you have to make, these aren't bigger than I am. 
these are decisions that are set up purposefully for where I'm trying to direct and where I'm trying to go, uh, direct you to. He then provides for his people. Luke 12, 24 says, Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? It's amazing. We can look outside of the window. We can look at nature. We can look at all of these things, and it continues to go and keeps going and keeps going and keeps going and keeps going. God's sustaining nature. God's sustaining. He's feeding the birds. He's taking care of all of them. And this passage here pretty much says God cares about all of that. How much more does he care about you? Does he love you? Does he care for you? We strive day in, day out and say, okay, well, I got to gotta keep working. I got to make ends meet. I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to all of these things. And God says, well, I've provided everything that you need. I need you to rest in me. By all means, work hard. But don't stress or overwork because you're trying to take on what I'm trying to do for you. Philippians 4.19 says that God will supply all of our needs. And it says that my God will supply every need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. God has all the riches. He does. He created all of it. It's all his. None of it is ours. We hold on to so much in this world. So many menial things that are, are, are meaningless. Completely meaningless. And we hold on to every little thing. Hold on to pieces of paper that someone gave us or whatever it is. Remember, um, what, five years now, I think? Six years? Five years? Something like that. Um, we moved from our family house in Franklinville. Um, 18 years in that house. And what I realized when we started opening cabinets and we started pulling stuff out of the attic, out of the garage, out of the basement, that, wait a minute, we're holding on to a whole lot of stuff that we don't need. Why do we have this stuff? Why is it sitting in storage? Why is it sitting there? Um, wh- why? What's the reason behind that? Why are we holding on to these things? Is it? Could it be that we don't trust God to actually provide? Could it be that we... We don't see the gifts that God gives us as that. Could we actually have taken some of those things and said, you know what? Someone could actually use this chair that I stuffed in this closet over here. Someone could actually use these things. But we hold on to so much because I don't think we really believe that God will supply our needs. He will take care of us. Even when things don't look that way, he will still take care of our needs. I learned something a couple years ago, and that was um, we went to a trip to Jamaica. Um, and for me, I don't, I don't travel well, for lack of a better term. Um, and so uh, it was a foreign country. I don't care what anybody says. Jamaica's a foreign country. Um, a lot of people go to Jamaica and stay on resort side, and they live the life and all those things. We went in deep into Jamaica. And um, for me, I, uh, I I wake up each morning. I have my structure. I live in my little cycle of what I do and all of those things. And uh, so I packed my suitcase heavy with the things that I needed to make sure I was going to be okay while I was in Jamaica. Um, and so I had the most amount of food in my suitcase. I had the most amount of all these things. Cause I didn't know what we were going to be eating. I didn't know, had no clue. Um, and what I noticed on that trip is that for each person that was there, needs were met. 
God made sure that everything was supplied that each person needed. Someone who had a special diet, their needs were met. Someone who, uh, people, there were moments when we were out in the sun, people were getting sick and stuff like that. Every need was met. We, we had water. We had everything that we needed while we were in Jamaica. Um, and so needs are um, the needs that I have, the needs that you have. God, or God is acquainted with your needs. He's acquainted with every single thing that you need. And it's according to you which talks even more about his love. His love is, a, is attached to each person individually. He knows you. He knows everything that you need and is there to provide for you everything that you need. So our God's love is one that comforts. Second Corinthians 1, 3 through 4 said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. I'm going to read that again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. And so when I started, we talked about brokenness and that we each have uh, brokenness. We are broken people. The world around us is broken and we must deal with that day in, day out. We deal with death. We deal with all of these different things. And God says, I'm a God of mercy. I'll comfort you. And what I liked about this passage is that it wasn't just left at, I comfort you, so you sit and you be comforted. It wasn't left there. It says that we are comforted in our afflictions, in all of our afflictions, so that we may be able to then turn around and comfort others in all afflictions. That speaks to a God who's about family. It speaks to a God who's about caring for others and not just saying, let me help you. It speaks to discipleship. It says, you know what? God just comforted me. How can I turn around and comfort you and what you're going? How can I be there for you? How can I lift you? How can I um, support you? In all afflictions, in the same way we are comforted by God, we should comfort others. Our God is a God who corrects. A lot of times we are not big fans of correction not big fans of discipline. I can plan it out. I can do it. I got it my own way. I, I got this. Um, and then we make mistakes and we don't even want to fix the mistakes that we've made. We just want to float along. Say, all right, well, we can pass that under there and forget about it and all of those things. But our God is a God that loves us so much that he's willing to say, you know what? This may not be easy, but I'm going to correct this in your life now so that you can move forward and go where I need you to go. And we see this in Proverbs three twelve. For the Lord reproves him who he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. So God delights in us so much that he's willing to say, you know what? The words that came out of your mouth are not correct. I need you to correct that. The things that you do are not correct. I need you to fix these things. I want you to go over here and help this person, even though you're having all of these problems right now. I need you to go here. I need you to do these things. I need you to see me and see what I'm doing. And it's all for love. It's all for love for you, and it's all for love for others. 
So then love, what does it mean? So to not know God is to know imperfect love. Someone who does not have an understanding of who God is doesn't understand what perfect love is because God is love. So therefore, they can't fully understand full love. They can understand aspects of love, but they can't understand full love. So to not know God is to know imperfect love. To know God, therefore, is to know perfect love. To completely be covered in perfect love. Is to know God is to know perfect love. Because God is love, everything he does is loving. So now then we're confronted with the understanding of our view of things. And a lot of times we view things and say, well, I don't really like this, or I don't really like that, or I'm not a big fan of these things. And we have to understand that the God that loves us, the God that we say we love, everything that he does, every way that he works, he works in love because he is love. So that means we have to check ourselves and say, well, wait a minute. I'm not actually viewing what God's doing properly. Obviously, he's brought me somewhere for a reason because he loves me and cares for me. I'll bring that around to current day for me. Um, October 13th, last year, started a new job in social services. Um, Great job. Good job. Right now, extremely stressful. Um, Extremely stressful. And um, I, uh, I have to sit with that. And going through this lesson, I'm like, you know what? I'm here in this job because God loves me. I can't look at it any other way. I'm here right now because God loves me. Do I want to go in? No. <laughs> no. I don't really want to go there. Um, do I want to work? No. Most of us don't want to work. But we have to work. Why? Because God loves us and he's trying to walk us through certain things to get us to where he wants us to be. So because God is love, everything he does is loving. We then have to choose and see what he's doing and understand it and say, you know what? God is love. Let me help me see that God is love. What this love means then is that we have everything we need for this life because God is love. There's nothing that I'm in want for nothing at all. I'm breathing, breathe out. I've got oxygen. I can breathe. I'm not in want for anything. I can walk around up here. I've got everything that I need. I may think that I need something or want something. I may ask God a zillion and one time for something, and he may say no. But the truth of the matter is the bottom line is I have everything that I need. We have everything that we need because God is love. I wanted to read a passage for you before we head um, off into respond time. And this is Ephesians three fourteen through 21. If you guys could turn there for me. Ephesians three, fourteen through twenty one. I'm going to explain verse nineteen first, and then we'll go back and read the entire passage. Ephesians three, fourteen through twenty one. 
verse 19, the beginning of it says, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. The knowledge we have of God, our understanding of God, our understanding of the world around us, God's love goes way beyond even that. Even our understanding of our current situation, even beyond our understanding of anything that we could try to understand. We always want to be gaining knowledge of God and understanding who he is, but even our infinite knowledge of finite knowledge of I think I just jacked that up. Infinite or finite? Finite. Knowledge of God um, doesn't even cover the amount of love that God has for you. And so let's go back and read. And this is Paul's prayer for the church. And he says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through the spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love. May have strength to comprehend with all the saints. What is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I'm going to rewind really quick here. Verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power in his spirit, through his spirit in your innermost being. That speaks to a God that loves you so much that he knows every little aspect of your innermost being. He knows your heart's desire. He knows everything about you. And it's saying that we may be strengthened through his spirit all the way deep down into the hurts that we carry with us every day. All the way deep down into um, our joys. All the way deep down into uh, life that we live. He wants us to know the love of God that deep in our hearts. That we may be rooted and grounded in this love so that we can comprehend with everyone around us how deep, how wide, how high the love of God is. The love that surpasses our knowledge and our understanding. That we may be filled with the fullness of God. And he ends here with now unto him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us to him be glory in the church and in Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So we'll shift into uh, respond time. It's something that we do each week as a church. Um, and this time is to connect you with the teaching, connect us with the teaching and understand um, who God is, and then um, respond out of that. So I'll ask you to have a conversation with God. Have some questions here. Have you stopped learning about God? If so, why? Talk to God about that. Your knowledge of who God is is so important to your walk with him. 
Have you stopped learning about him? Why have you stopped learning about him? Talk with him about them. Have, ask him to give you a desire again to learn about who he is so that you can fully understand his love. What area of your life have you stopped believing God is love? Or areas of your life, you know what? God is love over here. God is love over there. But you know what? I'm not seeing God's love. We're not understanding God's love here. Talk with God about that. He wants to know that you're not seeing his love in that area. Um, and I'll add to that. Ask him to have you speak with somebody, um, one of your friends, family member, someone who knows who God is that can help you see God's love in that area of life. And then who needs to know that God is love? Who do you need to be sharing God's love with? Who around you? Is it someone in this family here that needs to know God is love, that's faltering and not seeing God's love? Is it someone in your biological family? Is it someone at work? Is it your neighbor? Who is it that needs to know God's love? Ask God for boldness as you choose to then be the disciple who's connecting this person to true joy, to true love, um, and speak to that person. So I'll give you some time. I'm going to go play for a little bit, um, and then Hannah will come up and we'll sing for Respond. <laughs> 